Morris Spiegel. I am the co-founder and president of WAFBA. We are for better alternatives. You're listening to the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Hey, everybody. This is Jason Wilson with the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in once again. Uh, So today I am sitting down with one of the really big names in the hemp space, um, one of the minds behind um, WAFBA, which is We Are For Better Alternatives. Also, um, one of the big minds behind the NOCO Hemp Expo, which is one of the, I think, the biggest um, hemp conference yeah, in the on the planet. Um, I'm here with Morris Beagle. Thanks so much, Morris, for being willing to come on the podcast today. Uh, my pleasure, Jason. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. I'm Really excited to hear your sort of your unique perspective on the hemp industry because today it's so prevalent that when people think of the hemp industry, they think of CBD. And one thing I like about a lot of your messaging is trying to make sure the conversation stays, you know, more broad about how the cannabis plant can be used for all sorts of purposes and CBD and, you know, the resin rich production of cannabis plants is one aspect, but there's a lot more to it. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested to, to hear your experiences. I mean, one thing, just to kick it off, just to kind of set the stage here, you once uh, sort of earlier on when you were transitioning from your background in music and all of that into the hemp space, you actually uh, built a guitar somewhat out of hemp, didn't you? Well, I didn't actually build it, and you can see behind me here. Those, the, those two, the blue one and the the kind of red orange mm-hmm. one. Both of those are hemp composite shell body. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's actually just a thin layer of of a hemp fiber composite that's wrapped around a wood core. And uh, there's some guys in Canada that have been making guitars since I believe like 2013. And so I hooked up with those guys and bought a couple of their guitars. And then since they've made several guitars for me under the, the name of Silver Mountain Hemp. Gotcha. And beyond that, we've, we've started to make other hemp guitars with some builders out of Atlanta using different materials that are produced in Kentucky and produced in Idaho and basically grown and processed here in the United States. So we're still in the process of, of figuring out how to build guitars and guitar cabinets and combo amps and amplifiers out of hemp, which you'll see back there too. Mm-hmm. All those cabinets sitting back there, those are all hemp cabinets made yeah. out of a hemp particle board and they've got hemp speaker cone speakers in them. So it's all hemp. Yeah, that's so mm-hmm. fascinating. I feel like that right away that probably will surprise a lot of people that that's even somewhere you can go with him. What do you notice between a uh, sort of a standard wood, you know, body guitar and with the hemp composite, how do they compare as far as um, the feel, the weight, the sound, that sort of thing? Well, with these composite guitars behind me, they're actually quite light and Mm -hmm. sonically they're, they sound really good. You can load them with whatever pickups that you want. So I've, I've got, uh, uh, P90s in there, which are standard mm-hmm. rock pickups that that sound good, and and what we're going to do with the, the new guitars and the new combo amps and stuff is we're going to really, really spend a lot of time abing them against other guitars and mm-hmm. amplifiers and and equipment out there just to see how they 
how they stand up and what the little variances are and differences. I mean, when it comes to sound and tone, people are pretty picky as to right. what they like. And it all comes down to you like things more bright. You like things a little darker. Mm -hmm. So the guitars themselves, the, the wood that we're using on the new ones, it's uh, the hemp wood company out of Kentucky. And they're, they're basically taking stocks and they, they press them down into a, into a hard board, similar mm -hmm. to like they do with bamboo flooring. And so we're yeah. utilizing that material and, and it's a real hardwood. So it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see how they sound against like a hard mahogany and a hard maple. Yeah. And what, um, to give folks listening a little bit of background on you, what led to this focus in your world towards hemp? Well, I've been a cannabis user and mm -hmm. supporter for a long time since I was in sure. high school. And, and that was really more on the recreational side than anything. And uh, I went into the music industry in the late 80s. And, and from there, I worked for a large music and video company in Atlanta and then in California. And then I moved back to Colorado where I grew up and started a music production company in 1995. And when I moved mm -hmm. back here... I moved to Fort Collins and there was a store there called the Emperor Wears No or actually the Hemper Wears No Clothes. <laughs> yeah. It was named after the Emperor Wears No Clothes by Jack Hare. And so I became familiar with the hemp side of things to a degree, all the different uses from textiles and clothing mm -hmm. and rope and soap and lotions and food. And and that was long before CBD was a thing. You know, CBD is yeah. really a, a later phenomenon here in the last, I don't know five, six years, not that people weren't investigating it and doing things mm -hmm. with it prior 10, 15, 20 years ago, but really on this hemp side of things, that just all popped up in the last, you know, since 2012, 2013, 2014, mm -hmm. once the hemp uh, legislation passed here in Colorado with Amendment 64, and then the, the Farm Bill of 2014 then opened mm -hmm. up to yeah. states across the country to open up pilot programs. I mean, again, CBD wasn't a thing. And when I got into the hemp industry in 2012, we started Colorado Hemp Company. It was really coming out of the music industry because the music industry itself had gone through a lot of changes with the internet and physical media going away. And I was in the mm -hmm. in the CD business and doing physical CDs, manufacturing, gotcha, yeah. physical distribution. And how many record stores are left in the country now? Not very many. You know, nobody, know. Has, nobody has a CD department in their stores anymore no more kmarts or walmarts or best buys or any of that yeah exactly i remember uh i think i was in late high school or so when one of the big tower records locations closed and that was such a big um you know a big shakeup uh to kind of i mean i'm a musician myself and so it's something that i've always been involved in too i remember when my old high school band, we recorded our first album and how big of a deal it was to get that CD in the, in the, the, you know, the, the case and everything and actually hold it. And, um, and then, yeah, it didn't seem like much long after that, everything's totally shifted and it's really changed the way musicians and agents and promoters, all these, you know, every level of the music industry has had to think about how to adapt and, and transition. Um, yeah, it's been a wild ride. <laughs> it has been a wild ride, and I still am involved in the music industry to some degree, and I'll still press an occasional CD here and there for mm -hmm. people that I've worked with for 20 or 30 years, and hey, we want to make a CD and just run 100 copies or a couple hundred yeah. copies, and 
give them away to friends to, to whoever may still have a C- CD player in their car or in their computer because those things don't come with CD players. I know. Anymore. I know. It's weird. It's really <laughs> weird. I know. <laughs> People are buying vinyl. Vinyl's outselling CDs right now, which is yeah. crazy to think about. It, it really is. Yeah. It's something that, you know, 15 years ago, people would laugh at if you told them that. And yeah, now look at where we are. And, and so you, you did this transition and you started the Colorado Hemp Company. And I know, um, just from some of, you know, my reading on some of your companies and your background and everything, I know you did a little bit of work looking at like hemp paper and some other products, uh, kind of trying to get a sense of what you could do with hemp. Kind of what did that all look like as it evolved towards this path? around uh, what eventually led towards NOCO Hemp Expo and all of that. So we actually do have a hemp paper company and actually Mm -hmm. right here. So there you go. This is hemp stock paper. And uh, we created this paper right here. This was the pulp was grown or the the fiber in this was grown in Colorado and it was pulped in Colorado by Pure Hemp Technology. And then it was manufactured in Boulder by a handmade paper company that does seed Mm -hmm. paper. And so that paper right there has got 50% hemp in it and then 50% post-consumer recycled material. It's a real specialty paper that we do limited edition posters on. But there's Mm -hmm. another paper company called Greenfield Paper that we've worked with since 2013 that creates a commercial grade paper. And there's several different weights. We've got a cardstock weight that we use for business cards. And then there's a lighter cardstock weight that you can use for business cards or posters Mm -hmm. or brochures. And then a couple other lighter stocks in that that can be used for posters and flyers and so forth. So we do still do a lot of hemp paper printing for business cards and marketing collateral. And and that was really the second thing that happened with Colorado. So Colorado Hemp Company launched in 2012. Mm-hmm. Tree Free Hemp launched in 2013. NOCO Hemp Expo launched in 2014. Gotcha, 2015, yeah. we launched Let's Talk Hemp. And it's like we continue to add little entities underneath our umbrella. And Mm -hmm. in 2015, we actually started WAFBA, We Are For Better Alternatives, to Mm -hmm. house all of our different entities and event brands and and so on. And now we've got, I don't know, a dozen or so brands underneath the umbrella. Yeah, it's interesting to watch it evolve, these different um, avenues um, that you and and your, you know, groups of folks that you work with are are exploring. It's super fascinating. And one thing I wanted to... this is going to tie into a lot of things, but one thing I wanted to ask you is what has been the response when you present alternatives to um, companies? Like for instance, with the, the hemp paper, let's say you wanted um, uh, some business to switch over to um, paper that's based in hemp and uh, recycled materials and that sort of thing. What's generally the response that you receive to that and what are some of the kind of hurdles you've got to jump through to get people to view these alternatives as viable? Well, people are generally pretty welcoming of mm-hmm. having an, an option that's a greener, yeah. more sustainable option utilizing hemp paper. The biggest hurdle is the cost right now because mm-hmm. the cost of let's say running a thousand business cards on hemp paper compared to a thousand business cards at Vista print that mm-hmm. uses 90% tree pulp and 10% post-consumer recycled there. You're going to pay about three to three to four times more going mm-hmm. 
using hemp paper at this point in time. So it's really got to be a commitment of, you know, I believe that this is the way it has to go. And until the industry can produce enough material on a large enough scale to then bring to the paper and packaging industry that, hey, we've got a viable feedstock mm -hmm. to replace your wood pulp um, at a cost that's very competitive to that you know it's 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 a premium product so we the pushback mm -hmm. we get is definitely revolving around price most of the time yeah and do you see um the cbd industry um possibly slowing down that progress mm -hmm. towards getting hemp farms uh focused on um sort of thinking bigger beyond uh, the resin, and the reason I ask that is because I talked to a hemp farmer recently who said that um, he was concerned that all of the focus on CBD and CBG would dissuade hemp farmers from exploring other avenues. Um, so that's something I wanted to present to you as well. Well, that's certainly been the case. When we start, when we really launched this in 2012 and 2013 and 2014, going into NoCo, it was um, it was really based around the industrial side of mm -hmm. hemp that yeah. traditionally is um, the stock and the grain. So the being able to make construction materials or animal bedding or textiles or, you know, bioplastics going into the future with the stock material, um, again, paper and packaging. Mm -hmm. And then the grain side of it with shelled hemp seeds and the hemp hearts and mm -hmm. protein powder and yeah. animal feed. You know, that's the traditional industrial hemp, and, and there's a huge, huge market just waiting to happen once we scale up that side of it. And when all of a sudden here comes CBD and you can make all this money from it, it was really a green rush. And it's been mm -hmm. a green rush up until this last growing season where all of a sudden we grew several hundred thousand acres worth of material. And all of a sudden everybody's stuck with all this material that's not processed or it is processed and you're sitting on crude, you're sitting on isolate, yeah. you're sitting on distillate, you're sitting on a lot of material out there because the market just isn't mature enough yet. And there's been roadblocks from the regulatory agencies, whether that's the USDA mm -hmm. and the DEA leading up to this. And now the FDA, who's been very ambiguous about allowing CBD yeah. and cannabinoids into the food system or the supplements system. Um, I think we all know that Congress's intent was to legalize this entire plant, that this plant can go into the food system and the dietary supplements and the industrial side. And it, it's all legal, but the, the FDA has been a, a big hindrance to the CBD side of things. And then that's, that's really the driving factor as to why so many people are setting on all this material. Um, yeah. Once this, once the FDA clarifies the regulations and supposing that they do allow it as a food ingredient, which they should, um, again, that was the intent of Congress, and Congress mm -hmm. probably is going to have to step in at some point and and yeah. really clarify things for the FDA because the FDA is they're just the FDA and then they're not a real friendly agency towards human health, and they're supposed to be. Um, the diet, the supplements industry has seen this for 30 years and has fought back and forth with them on a variety of natural plant medications and and compounds. So, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's 
No, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, so the, the CBD thing has been, it's been great for the industry to uh, educate the public that, hey, here's industrial hemp. Um, mm -hmm. Even though this really isn't the industrial use of it, it's really the therapeutic health and wellness side of it. But all the, the materials that, that that plant is can also go into making great foods and, mm -hmm. and superfoods. Um, as well as all these industrial applications that really is going to be the game changer from a climate environmental standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. And um, have you seen, I know one thing that some of these CBD farmers are wanting to do is to try to get their waste products, their stalks and everything um, pushed into the industrial side and um, turned into fiber and everything. But something that's been on my mind that I generally don't know the answer to is, um, do you know how the waste materials from CBD farms um, compare to the materials that you would normally use if you're, you know, planning on making hemp paper and stuff and you're growing hemp crops with the idea that you're going to be processing it? I would imagine because um, some of these CBD plants, I mean, they're, you know, they are short, squatty female cannabis plants with very thick stalks, um, everything like that. So how does how does that compare? Does it translate the same when the CBD farmers take, you know, these um, stalks from those farms compared to maybe the sort of longer, smaller, uh, maybe easier to break apart kind of stalks that uh, they might be using in um, other other hemp farms for other industrial purposes? Well, there hasn't been a lot of emphasis up until the last several years about using that waste material as industrial hemp's been used in the past. And the, the mm -hmm. machinery that's been out there to decorticate and process yeah, yeah. the hemp stocks has really been developed for traditional industrial hemp. And now we've got all this waste material that's, the, like you said, the Christmas tree, squatty, marijuana-type plants. Mm -hmm. that I think that the the compounds and the the consistency of the cellulose and so forth in the cannabinoid hemp. Yeah. So with the Christmas tree cannabinoid hemp compared to traditional industrial hemp for going into industrial processes, I think that there's still a lot of research to be done. Yeah. I think that from a textile standpoint, you're not going to see any of this cannabinoid Christmas tree hemp end up in, in our t-shirts and our hats and that sort of thing. Cause that's, that fiber is a real, that that's the, the high end bass fiber. And a lot mm -hmm. of the short fibers that you're going to get from the Christmas tree stuff is probably going to be just fine for going into uh, the paper and packaging market and the bioplastics and composites market. That's where I would see, a lot of work and development going on with that. That's where I see that mm. material ending up, which we're gonna need so much material when it comes to bioplastics in the future. That's that's the big play on that waste material. And I also see you can make that into biochar and, and other yeah, yeah. Uh, materials that can go right back into the ground that will help our soil and, and help clean up the, the crap that continues to pollute mm. our, our soil. I know, yeah. I'm I'm definitely excited about how uh, cannabis plants in general can be used in an overall um, 
I don't know, whatever buzzword you want to use these days, permaculture, sustainable agriculture, ecological conscious, you know, way yeah. of farming, but, but being able to, you know, biochar is something that, um, I have a little bit of experience with, uh, that, um, that I get excited about, um, teaching about and, and so many other ways using them as companion plants to other crops, all sorts of different ways the plant can be used in the field. Um, and to segue into s- some things that you were just talking about, um, so we were talking about bioplastics. Um, another thing that I've seen recently is um, a use of hemp in uh, basically stripping away everything except for the carbon that is um, you know, in that material and using it as, um, was it supercapacitors or something? Um, for for batteries basically to get graphene sheets out of it correct um so yeah what are you most excited about in terms of looking towards the future and the uses of hemp and what are and maybe we just touched on the main two but what are some of the uses of hemp that you think people maybe um, aren't as aware of that you want to make sure that they know about well i think that there's going to be a lot of innovation that will be coming Mm -hmm. down the road as far as plant-based materials that can replace petroleum-based material. Yeah. And I guess what what is said out there, anything that can be made from a hydrocarbon can be made from a carbohydrate. And it seems that technology has been subsidized for this petrochemical world for the last hundred years and really not for um, the ag world when it comes to what can be made you know, whether that's biofuels, whether that's uh, plastics or composites. Um, now that we know the damage that petroleum's done to our planet the last 50 or 60 years and we have to reverse course, I think that you, you'll you see like the, the oil and gas industry who's very smart and the, the, the things that they've been able to figure out to do with petroleum, I think that we'll see a lot of engineering and technological innovation starting to happen with plant material, particularly with hemp, um, because there's such a excitement around hemp right now. And we've been mm-hmm. talking about hemp can do this, hemp can do that. Right. Um, so I would say that you know you mentioned the the energy storage with the nanotechnology and graphene replacement materials i think that that's super exciting and that we'll make a lot of progress in that over the course of the next three five ten years um, other things i don't think that people are really aware of that hemp is used for animal bedding is one okay. and and animal food which is still got to clear hurdles with the fda but if humans can eat it why can't animals eat it and the, the the research has already been done out there. Animals love hemp seeds. The yeah. the profile of the protein and omegas and amino acids. It's just it's a very very healthy uh, food. And we can benefit from any of the. For those of us that are meat eaters, um, we can benefit from our livestock being as healthy as possible and being as you know. Uh, nutrient rich just like we would want from from plants as well and um you're touching on a really interesting point that um, i'm always excited when our discussions about cannabis spin out into broader discussions this idea of what you can do with hydrocarbons you can do with carbohydrates um i think that is something that um a lot of people are totally unaware of and generally don't think about 
um, because right. that that option is not usually presented. People have heard of you know using um, uh, vegetable oils and things to power cars, and you know they've seen sometimes some very sort of low tech ways um, that plant products are used as alternatives to uh, petroleum products and stuff like that. But the what you're talking about of the level of innovation that's coming and the level of sophistication that, you know, comes with that, that we're going to be able to do things that, um, you know, it's really going to change how we think about energy, how we think about, you know, all, all of these different things. I think that is, that's really great. And it doesn't stop with cannabis. It, this applies to all sorts of crops. Um, and cannabis is one plant in this sort of broader, um, arsenal of ours that we have to do things differently and to touch on, you know, the whole point of WAFA, the, these alternatives, you know, trying to find these, these better alternatives and cannabis can be a great stepping stone towards discovering, um, a lot of interesting things of what we can do with plants and fungi, um, broadly. And something I, I wanted to bring up that I thought was really interesting is I know that, and we can talk more about this in a second, but I know that the hemp expo had to get rescheduled because of uh, the coronavirus stuff that came in. And I'm sure that was a massive undertaking of figuring out how to respond to that. Sure. Um, but one thing I was excited about, uh, about the Hemp Expo was that you were adding, um, was it a mushroom pavilion? Um, so Correct. you're trying to educate people about the uses of mushrooms and fungi as well, and sort of expanding this conversation starting with hemp, but then going well beyond it, which is really exciting to me. So uh, what drove you to um, start to bring a focus to mushrooms? Several things. With um, A, we de decriminalized mushrooms in Denver back yeah. last year, which I think we were the first city in the country to actually decriminalize them, if not the first, one of the first. Mm -hmm. And I think that mushrooms are another one of these things that can provide so many benefits to humankind. That's a natural, it's been with us forever. It's probably the yeah. oldest living organism on the planet. And after watching fantastic fungi with oh, yeah. Paul Stamets and it's like, wow, this is just really amazing. Here's, here's the next thing after cannabis. And I see hemp is, and cannabis is leading the way, but there are other alternatives. And, you know, can we lead the way? And then can there be all these other plants and fungi kingdom that can really transform our society and in our environment and our climate over the course of the next 10, 20, 30, 50 years? Because if we don't make some serious changes as a society, our society is gonna have significant issues going forward. We're, pro we're not gonna make it. Yeah, I mean, we we're staring these problems in the face. We see them coming, and you know, the time that we do have, even though it's getting more and more limited, and it is kind of this race on time. The time we have is a gift <laughs> it is. to to figure this out and figure out how we want to organize ourselves. And this whole idea of how do we want to organize ourselves? I mean, it's obviously brought to the forefront now with everything going on with um, all the protests against systemic inequalities and police brutality and all these other things and the coronavirus bringing up all these discussions about how to handle public safety. It's just like so many things right now are pushing us to really think critically about how humans should organize themselves 
what type of world we want to live in and how we want to step into the future. Um, and so it's, it's interesting that all of this is sort of swirling together and so many things seem to be hitting a peak at the same time, at the same time. It's almost, it's almost too much to handle, but it is an amazing opportunity, uh, to get creative. Um, and so what's, and I haven't followed what the the plan is now since the Hemp Expo had to get rescheduled. Um, so do you mind speaking a little bit about what was that process like of you, I assume, because I know other people that were event organizers and stuff were going through this, of kind of on the edge of their seats trying to see what's happening with the coronavirus, what's happening with stay-at-home orders, how big of an issue is this, how do we need to respond, how quickly do we need to respond? So do you mind talking a little bit um, about what that was like personally for you of trying to decide how to handle that situation and then what did you end up doing and how are you going to, um, you know, basically did all of this kind of affect how you think about the expo going forward? So, yeah, I guess that's, that's a lot to kind of unpack. Yeah, right sure. Now. Yeah. Um, we were out in anaheim at the beginning of march for expo west which is the largest mm -hmm. natural products expo in the world that's produced yeah. by new hope media who are good friends of ours and who we look up to as here's an event that has 3500 exhibitors and almost 100,000 attendees and we were out there to speak they kick it off with a, a hemp forum and mm -hmm. we were we were going to be speaking on this tuesday the second or the third of march and we're out there on the Monday and all of a sudden there there a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of companies were pulling out and saying, mm -hmm. you know, we're not gonna be there. And all of a sudden they pulled the plug after companies were already setting up on the floor. And it, it was just a, a real cluster. Yeah. As to it's like, wow, um, this could really be something that, you know, hopefully mm -hmm. we're not gonna have to cancel NOCO three weeks down the road or four weeks down the road. And so we were really starting to pay attention to what other event producers were doing out there who was going to try to fight the good fight and keep going on. The show must go on. And so we were really watching South by Southwest. Um, wow. It's like, if these guys go through, then, you know, we're going to go through. But if they pull the plug, then we're going to need to react really quick. And so we got back, I think it was on March 6th, so Thursday, and and we'd all been talking with, you know, our various crew um, and our uh, our venue and our hotel. And and then on that Friday, I think it was the 6th or the 7th, South by Southwest finally caved and said, hey, you know, we're, we're not going to do it. And so we got with our whole team and to see if we could reschedule and not cancel the event and be able to give our all of our attendees and all of our exhibitors and sponsors at least a couple of weeks to prepare and adjust their schedules and know what's coming. Right. And fortunately, we got everything worked out over the weekend. We could make a clean transition into August, uh, which we felt was a, a pretty good window and hopefully everything would pass by then. Mm -hmm. Now that's, <laughs> we're in a different world right now, but the thinking was yeah. at that point. Um, and so we made the announcement on the following Monday I believe that was the eighth. And then on the ninth, our governor, Jared Polis, who was scheduled to do an opening keynote for us, uh, declared a state of emergency in Colorado. And, and then the dominoes just continued yeah. to fall. And 
And I think even later that week is when the NBA said we're canceling the season. And yeah. once the NBA canceled, that that was really like shit is yeah, really happened. It, it has hit the fan. Yeah, it, it had hit the fan. So the NBA was like the final, you know, nail in the coffin as yeah. far as an event uh, type perspective. Because then everybody was like, well, I guess we're all canceling at this point. Yeah. And so, yeah. and at that time, we it's like, all right, well, how are we going to pivot and mm-hmm. and start doing things virtually? And that was the immediate pivot. And we bought into a platform, and we've since pivoted into the into the cloud. And we did an Earth Week event, and we've got mm-hmm. a summer solstice event coming up, and then we're going to do another event in October as well. And really try to do as much as we can on the virtual side of things from a conference and a trade show and a networking standpoint. Yeah. And do you feel that um, some of those adjustments will likely carry on into the future now that you've, you know, kind of thought about how you could do certain things digital and bring conversations, you know, and that's, I mean, and like I've said before, you have a podcast too. So you're already, your head is already kind of in that space of digital media and communications and and all that sort of thing. Um, but do you foresee that something being um, sort of a trend that you continue um, through the years now that you've kind of gotten that momentum behind you of doing these digital events? Yeah, I would say so. I think yeah. that the the virtual thing isn't going away mm-hmm. if uh, pandemics continue to happen, which they very well could. Um, yeah. It, what is going to be the future of live gatherings? And I sure hope that we get back to large in-person events mm-hmm. for trade shows, conferences, concerts. Uh, I, I think that we will. I think that our species mm-hmm. just gravitates towards that. I don't think everybody wants to be locked away and, and talking to each over yeah. each other over a monitor like we're doing right now, which is fine. But mm-hmm. at the same time, there has to be this physical interaction that Absolutely. you can't replace that. I don't think. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, my focus in doing this podcast early on was I tried to do as many interviews as I could in person because there's there's just another dynamic there and it gets partially recreated when we do these video chats and things and I can I can look into your eyes and see you smile, you know, all these different cues um, that affects the way we communicate with each other. But there's a whole other level when you're there with somebody and you feel more, uh, you know, their energy and everything and you feed off of each other. And so in general, I, you know, this, for this interview, I would much prefer to like come out and meet you in person and sit down and, you know, do something like that. Um, because there, there is, you know, a lot to be said for that. And I agree too, that, you know, we're a social species. Um, so we, we feel often most fulfilled when we're around other people. Um, I would agree. Yeah. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. And has all of this specifically talking about the coronavirus stuff right now, has it affected how you'll um, handle certain logistics of events in the future? Like for instance, you know, like so many stores now, or um, it seems like maybe permanently implementing different like social distancing policies. They're changing little things about uh, what gets handled before it gets handed off. You know, all these little 
technical details to try to, um, um, I guess, reduce any potential transmission spread and all of that. So in your organizing of the event, um, are there things like that that you're thinking about? Like, well, as we proceed in the future, we might have to just sort of um, change some of the logistics a little bit in case something like this happens again, we'll be re- more prepared and ready to, you know, put people at ease that they can participate in these events and, you know, maintain a level of safety and confidence, you know, that everything's being done to, you know, make things as, as best as they can be. Yeah, there will definitely be protocols that are going to be put into place for event organizers. And fortunately for us, we work with a, an event company called Conference Direct who does events, thousands of events a year, and they've got staff all over the world. And they help us out with various logistics from mm-hmm. coordinating our hotel or catering or the decorator who sets up the booths. And with these professionals that do this stuff day in and day out for thousands of events, there's going they're already working on all these protocols, yeah. talking to different agencies in the government health departments and what's going to be the protocol once these events start to come back and it'll be different for your conferences that are 200 to 500 right. thousand people compared to a larger show like ours that had over 10,000 people last year or an MJ biz that has mm-hmm. 25 or 30,000 people or a expo West that has a hundred thousand people, you know, there will be different booth spacing. There will be more sanitizing and stations mm-hmm. for hand washing and, um, you know, what's the mask situation going to be and how many people can be in the, you know, X amount of square feet at any given time. And we're trying to figure that out now because we've got 200,000 square feet and, and what's going to be our uh, capacity. What are Mm -hmm. we allowed to have in that space based on how many booths we have? So there's a lot to figure out. Yeah. Yeah. Starting to work on that now. And if we, pull off our event in August, or if by chance we have to move it into 2021 and NOCO 7 doesn't happen in 2020, then mm-hmm. we just basically live in the cloud for this year and and kind of do the best that we can and make our plans to move into 2021 and hit the ground running in 2021. I think having nine months from now gives us a lot more time to see what others are doing out there mm-hmm. and how they've had to maneuver and navigate to to making a safe environment. I mean, that's what it comes down to is we have to provide a safe environment for all of our attendees, all of our exhibitors, all the people that we're bringing under that roof. Yeah, absolutely. And that ability to adapt and pivot is, is so critical. Um, Right. And yeah, it's impressive what, um, what I've seen, you know, within throughout industries, um, you know, that, it, it took a, there was a little bit of lag time there, a couple of weeks of people just trying to figure out what the impact was going to be, what to do. But then once everyone realized, you know, the reality of the situation and there wasn't, you know, a whole lot of wiggle room, especially when the stay at home orders and everything happened, it was amazing how quickly that innovation kicked in, um, which is inspiring um, to know that, you know, as humans, we do have that capacity that, you know, very, very quickly we can pivot, adapt and find ways to try to meet a mission um, through various ways if we have to. Um, one thing I 
wanted to ask you too is, um, and this is like a very huge pivot. Um, so there are a lot of people wanting to get into the hemp industry right now, um, either because of CBD or because of uh, things that they're seeing in places like Colorado and Kentucky that have really been um, pushing forward more of the traditional industrial hemp uh, models and everything. Do you have any advice for uh, people that are currently mulling over whether they want to step into hemp farming? And I know one issue that I've seen out here in Oregon where I am is a lot of people get excited about hemp. They want to get into hemp farming. They then often find investors or they take on loans. They have projections on how much money they're going to make. A lot of times those projections are terribly wrong and they end up in a lot of debt and um, and then have other problems um, to deal with. So do you have any advice for people thinking about getting into this industry, things they should be thinking about, things they should be reading, um, you know, that sort of thing, so that they hopefully avoid some of those pitfalls and have the best chance for success? I would say just do a lot of research into the market. And hemp is only going to continue to increase in dollar value as mm -hmm. the years go on. The market's going to continue to grow. The CBD market, supplement market will continue to grow. Uh, to what degree, based on the material out there, it's not going to, it's not infinite growth for all these small companies wanting to start a CBD company and right. have tinctures and capsules and patches and salves. You know, what's going to differentiate your product from the product that's right next to it is it usda organic um was it grown regeneratively how you know mm -hmm. what's special about your product compared to somebody else's uh, i think that there's going to be a lot of growth in the fiber side and the grain side mm -hmm. and the the overall market and and where do you fit where does your skill set fit there's opportunity out there for smart savvy entrepreneurs passionate people and i would say if you're going to do it follow your passion where do where do you you know what do you gravitate towards mm -hmm. that and i think that there's money to be made but i wouldn't jump into to hemp farming and say i'm going to grow 100 acres of cannabinoid hemp unless i've got a contract and a buyer and even that we've seen over the last year or two there's yeah. lots of contracts and lots of buyers out there that in the end that contract isn't a good contract and that buyer is like a unicorn. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've I've seen a lot of uh, a lot of relationships go sour out here. Um and it's it's been unfortunate because a lot of you see this pattern over and over again where you see somebody that usually is well-intentioned and uh sees a path forward to do something that um that they're passionate about, that they think will make a good difference in the world, you know, all these different things. Um, yeah. And then they partner with the wrong people or whatever happens, you know, whether it's naivety or ignorance, you know, uh, and sometimes just downright manipulation and, you know, ill will. Um, it's, it's been, uh, I don't know. It's like a, it's a battleground and I've, I've seen so many good people get burned, um, trying to get into the, the hemp space, particularly over the past year and a half or so i mean as soon as as soon as the farm bill passed you know and that hit the news there was just this mad rush uh like you said it was a green rush um to try to get in whether it was cbd and 
uh, some people thinking forward on other cannabinoids that they wanted to tease out and everything. And, um, you know, we've already seen just in, and once again, from my experience in Oregon and, you know, you're in Colorado, it just in the, uh, the THC cannabis world and the green rush going on there and all of the people being burnt and, um, companies that pop up and shut down over the course of a year or two. It's, um, I don't know if, yeah, I think if you aren't able to think creatively and figure out how to differentiate yourself, you're really in trouble. I mean, I think I read that there was like a thousand CBD brands, new CBD brands that came on to the market just last year alone, uh, in the United States. Um, well, that probably adds to the 3,500 that were there before. Or exactly. Whatever. It's a lot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's it is a it's a very crowded room um that that sometimes we're having to stand in. Right. I would add to this and this kind of jumps back to the mushroom pavilion conversation that I don't think that I fully answered. Um oh, yeah, yeah. I, I see I see the, you know, one of the reasons we added the mushroom thing is superfoods and supplements. Yes. Yes. Um, as well as packaging materials. So there's mm -hmm. a company that's doing styrofoam replacement out of mushrooms. I've seen that, and yeah. So this is another thing where getting rid of plastics and stuff that's just terrible for our environment. And hemp's a good one of, that can do that. Mushrooms is another good thing that can do that. Other plant material as well, whether that's bamboo or flax mm -hmm. or canaf. So I think that if you're getting into cannabis, looking at the whole spectrum of plant-based you know, agriculture, a more holistic approach to the environment and to our personal health and planetary health, um, that's, I would recommend taking that broader perspective rather than, hey, I'm just going to look at CBD or CBG yeah. or any of these other minor cannabinoids, which there's going to be markets for that, but how great are those markets that's yet to be seen yeah yeah i know i see some of the market predictions the same as they were for cbd now they're starting to get wild for cbg and cbn and cbc and it's like you're talking about a market you still got to create right <laughs> or a demand you know yeah and, and getting consumers to want that you have to they're, they're still not educated on cbd yet right you know, we're still working on CBD and THC, so they understand what those are. And now here's CBG, and then there's CBC, and like you said, CBN, and it's like, there's still a long ways to go with CBD. Right, and we know far less about, you know, these other cannabinoids. Once once you get past THC and CBD, there's a large drop-off when it comes to research and, you know, what we really, you know, have, have looked at. Uh, there's some research, but when you start talking about like human clinical data and that sort of thing, there's just, that's just not existent yet. And it will be. Um, but, uh, for the most part, it's not there. So it's, um, from my perspective. So part of my background is I used to, um, develop and run, uh, cannabis testing labs or really natural products labs that then started to specialize in cannabis. And, um, and so I was always on sort of the public health and safety side of the industry trying to make sure products had what they said they had in them and they didn't have contaminants and that sort of thing. And so when I see the mad rush towards CBG and CBN and CBC and all these things, I'm just like, you know, I'm, I'm sure that as far as like LD fifties go and that sort of thing, like lethal doses. Yeah. They're, we know that the, they're 
you know, comparable to THC and CBD and that sort of thing. But, you know, like with CBD, we, it took us a while to learn um, that its effects on the liver are very different than THC and that it has a higher propensity to interact with other medications um, than THC does, even though THC still has that same effect, but to a much lesser degree. Um, so there's some of that that we need to know for CBG and CBN just to make sure that people that are relying on them as like dietary supplements or medicines, that they're doing it in the safest way possible. Uh, so the, the rush to push past CBD has me a little nervous. Um, you know, I think overall it'll, it'll be fine for most people, but there's always, you know, the, the at-risk populations that usually are the ones using this for medicine that might be immunocompromised, might be taking some pretty intense, you know, pharmaceutical meds that have very narrow therapeutic windows that if you're not careful, um, can hurt yourself because of those other medications. Um, even if it's right. not necessarily from the cannabinoids. Right. That, that's absolutely true. Yeah. And what are your thoughts on the style of hemp farming that we're a concern that I have is that it seems like the cannabis industry, the hemp industry, they're recreating a lot of the same problems that agriculture at large is already facing in that, for instance, in Oregon, if you drive down the interstate, you'll see massive hemp farms. They're huge monocultured farms, a lot of times using um, a weed suppressant plastic, whether it's quote unquote biodegradable or not, or compostable. There's all these different categories of plastics. And um, so uh, what's been weighing on my mind a lot is how do we um, push this conversation about methods of agriculture, methods of farming to try to ensure that hemp doesn't fall into that same cycle that we're already trying to get big ag out of in the first place. Well, one of the things that we've focused on at NOCO the whole time has been organic and regenerative agriculture. Mm -hmm. And we've got people speaking to that at all of our events, because I think that that's super important. Uh, one example is that we've spent quite a bit of time out in Hawaii. And what happened in Hawaii with sugarcane farming and the Mm -hmm. um, monocropping and you know they decimated their soil and they're having to go through and, and rebuild that using yeah. all kinds of like korean natural farming practices and stuff that's we should be doing all over the earth mm -hmm. really is is trying to get our soils back to where they should be because we've seen what corn and soy have and wheat and stuff has done to the united states agriculture system and, and all across the planet um we don't want to see hemp become corn 2.0 or soy 2.0 or mm. it's just being farmed conventionally and we're spraying all these petrochemicals on it and it's it's doing the exact same thing we really have to shift our mindset as to how can we really grow our food if we're consuming it we really have to be growing this stuff organically and regeneratively as best that we can and we have to be rotating out our crops we just can't plant the same thing over yeah. and over and over there has to be crop rotation so yeah and do you have recommendations for anyone listening that might um be unfamiliar with some of these topics at all um do you have some folks or some resources um that you would recommend to people listening that want to learn more about um how they could kind of take their hemp farms to a uh, another level and thinking about that sort of multidimensional ecologically conscious, you know, approach. 
Yeah, I would recommend people check out the new Doug Fine book, American Hemp Farmer. And mm -hmm. Doug released a book back in 2014 called Hemp Bound. Uh, and he actually spoke at our first NOCO Hemp Expo, and he's become a really good friend. And um, another guy that's really all about organic and regenerative agriculture, he talks about it in his new book. And his publisher, Chelsea Green Publishing, has all kinds of yeah. books on organic and regenerative agriculture and our food system. And I strongly recommend checking it, check out Chelsea Green and, and Doug's book. That There's some really good literature out there that people can learn about what we've done to our lands the last 50 or 60 years and what we really need to do moving forward. Otherwise, our food system, which is already in crisis right now, yeah. um, it's going to continue to get in more crisis if we don't make some serious changes in the coming years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Chelsea Green is great. I have a lot of books that I didn't even realize were coming out of that same publisher until I uh, started to get them on the bookshelf and then, you know, see the label there. But um, yeah, they have a lot of, they're very mission driven. Um, they are mission driven. They're a great company and they've been partners of ours since actually 2014 and all the people that we've worked with over there, they're just really great people. Yeah. 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 That's great. And um, to start to bring the conversation around, I know you're super busy and I want to be respectful of your time. What are you most excited about looking forward into the future of the hemp industry? What really piques your interest the most? I would say that, that we've just started to scratch the surface with this. We've only had legal hemp in this country let's say it's since 2014 with the yeah. first farm bill um, but it became legal in 2018 and there's been this big green rush and there's been all this kind of chaos going on and there's going to be some attrition in the industry with some of the cbd stuff but once the grain and fiber and the flour everything diversifies and we really start talking whole plant and it starts to become a reality over the course of the next several years i think that the market's going to open up and it's going to really start to grow um, we saw a boom we're seeing somewhat of a bust and stuff falling out of the bottom right now but um, I think that the future is bright for hemp and that innovation is going to drive a lot of opportunities forward for, for people who want to really jump into this industry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And another thing that's been on my mind that I've talked about in several of my most recent episodes that now has become incredibly relevant um, with, you know, the uh, the protests and sort of our society in the country really um, head on trying to tackle systemic inequalities and racism and everything. Something that I'm interested about, interested in looking at the hemp industry is its opportunity to start to get the people that have been most negatively affected by the war on drugs. You know, people of color have been arrested at higher rates or more likely to serve longer sentences for things like cannabis possession, all sorts of different things like that. How, you know, this hemp farming industry that is growing, it's such a interesting opportunity to be able to um, ensure that these communities that have been so negatively affected have a way to, um, you know, move in and own some small farms and um, 
you know, really get involved within the cannabis industry as as entrepreneurs and have their voices raised and everything. And I'm I'm very excited and sort of reserved too to see how the cannabis industry and 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 specifically the hemp industry too, since it's the federally legal cannabis industry, um, how it steps up to ensure um, you know, that people of color are represented and that, you know, we're ensuring that we're thinking about, you know, how do we, you know, um, ensure that people are getting out of jail for cannabis and having these opportunities. Something that bothers me so much is that even, even if we get people out of jail that have been affected by the war on drugs and, uh, and everything, if they have a felony on the record, well, are they going to be able to get loans to start a small business if they want to, are they going to be able to get financial aid if they want to go to school? Uh, you know, there's all of these different elements that we look at. And so I'm, excited about the opportunity that the hemp industry has to try to um, help with that. And I'm interested to know if like NOCO Hemp Expo with everything going on, um, are you also thinking about ways to ensure that at these like giant um, hemp industry events that more attention can be brought to um, cannabis companies, hemp companies that are owned by people of color and that sort of thing is is um, that discussion also seeming to happen? Absolutely. Uh, last year, we started a Diversify Hemp Meetup at NOCO in 2019, and then we did it at Southern Hemp Expo last year. And we had a special breakout area for Diversify Hemp this year in March, which, you know, again, whenever that happens. Um, but in our new virtual uh, platform as well. We're having a diversified lounge. And so we do, we have been discussing how to make this uh, a whole industry where everybody is welcome. It's all inclusive. It's not just run by a bunch of white men. And there's been a, there, there has been a lot of talk about that. And me being a white man, um, I see this systemic racism that's out there and all that's going on in the world and this inequality. And, and I, you know, it's, it's sickening because <clears throat> once we have equality, then we all can enjoy the, you know, what this world has to offer completely, you know, all of us. And if we all can enjoy and participate together, it, it will just make it so much more fulfilling for everybody from start to finish from a to z and so there is a group of us that um this kind of this core of diversify hemp and i've my call right after this is is with that group um to discuss what we're going to be doing during the virtual side of things here in the next couple of weeks and and how we're going to continue to build this platform for Diversify Hemp. And again, it's bringing in people of color. It's bringing in, you know, multiculturalism. It's, we're one race. It's not black people, brown people, and white people. We're the human race. It's one people. It's all one, as Dr. Bronner's would say. And, you know, black lives matter. And if that house is on fire, our house isn't on fire. Their house is on fire. And we got to put that fire out. And we are all in the same neighborhood. So um, we're going to do our part to, to continue this conversation and to amplify the conversation. Because until we all have equality, you know, the world is going to be dysfunctional. Yeah, and I mean, and this connects to so many points that we've been making through this conversation about how do we want to organize ourselves. 
the opportunities to set new examples. You know, the hemp industry doesn't have to be like the big ag industry, which the agricultural industry in general in general is pretty much run by a bunch of white men. I mean, largely it is. And so with this, you know, developing industry, we have such an amazing opportunity um, to try to develop things better and encourage an industry of diversity. And um, yeah, it's exciting. And I'm, I'm really stoked to hear, you know, that, um, that that's something that you're really actively, um, you know, working on. And does the, uh, the group that you mentioned, is there a website you could point people to, to learn more about that or any sort of ways that if folks want to try to help you in that cause, um, they, they could learn more? Well, we've got some information on nocohempexpo.com, just a little bit about okay. the diversify section. So it was just, you know, it's we have all these little breakout areas at NOCO, and and this is one that's been developing. But obviously, with what's going on at this point in time with the George Floyd thing and the protests, uh, you know, this is just elevating the necessity to mm -hmm. discuss this more and more because we there's a lot of things that need to be fixed in this world and this is certainly right there at the top of the list yeah yeah absolutely and yeah using our our platforms however we can to have those hard discussions and and push all of that forward is is really important so yeah i'm i'm stoked to to know that that's a part of your mission as well and something i'm trying to do with this platform too it's you know it's sometimes awkward as white males or in the most privileged of our, of our society, you know, you're like, what can I do? And you're like, well, I do have this privilege. I do have this power that I can use to share these experiences, have the hard conversations, push the dialogue. Um, and it's, yeah, it's always been needed, but certainly now more than ever, like you said, the house is on fire and we do have to come together as one, uh, if we're going to have tribes, it's one tribe. <laughs> exactly. Know? We're one yeah. tribe. We need yeah. to be one tribe. Exactly. Yeah. And, it, and it's about empathy and love. You know, like mm -hmm. we need to be able to look at each other and empathize someone's different experience from our own and be able to have that feeling of unconditional love towards our fellow people, um, regardless of, of differences. And it's a uh, yeah. It's going to be an interesting exercise for the human race. I hope we pull through. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate you being willing to spend so much time. I know we went a little bit over here, but I really appreciate it. And you know, being willing to dive into all of these topics. Um, right now, I'll basically hand over the platform to you. Let people know how to learn more about Wafa, Noco Hemp Expo, um, Colorado Hemp Company, all these different things. Um, Let's talk hemp. All all of the the many different projects that you're working on. Uh, let people know how to learn more, how to connect with you, and then if there's anything else we haven't touched on that you want to share, um, platform is yours. Go for it. Well, you can find out. You can go to wafpa.org. That will lead you to all of our brands, and you can click on a variety of websites there to go to Colorado Hemp Company or Let's Talk Hemp or NOCO or Silver Mountain Hemp Guitars and check out the new guitars that we're going to be releasing here nice. in the next uh, two, three weeks. Hopefully I'll have uh, my prototypes here in hand. They're being made right now. So I am excited about that. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah. Craziness. And I guess I would just like to leave it at, you know, 
we're at an interesting point in time as a human race and as a society. And I think that love conquers hate. And I thought, think that what you said earlier, that, that just, you know, it's all about love and it's, we're one race and we're one people and it's come time for folks to, to come together and stand side by side, brother to brother, sister to sister. And, and make some real lasting change as a society. Um, because if we don't, this we're gonna just continue to spiral and be at basically odds and civil war with each other. And, and we're just gonna waste this great opportunity of a, a beautiful planet and world that we have. And it's the only one that we have. We're not going to Mars. Well, you know, Elon wants to go to Mars. and. You know, if you want to go colonize if we can Mars, make it that long, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I prefer Earth, actually. So. Anyway, yeah, I'll leave yeah no, I think that's I think that's that's very, yeah, very well put. Absolutely. And it highlights that this issue, it connects environmentalism, um, you know, <laughs> criminal justice, social justice. It all comes together. Um, well, thanks so much. And everyone listening, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. If you want to learn more about Curious About Cannabis, uh, go to CACpodcast.com or find us on Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube. And um, all of you out there, um, you know, one thing I've been saying lately, now's not the time to be silent. Now's not the time, um, you know, to, to do nothing. Now's the time to act. So, um you know, do what you can to express support, do what you can to raise the voices of those that, um, you know, don't have the same privilege and, um, and ultimately freedom, um, that everyone else has. Um, if you have a platform, if you're an artist, make art, if you're a musician, make music, but now's the time to really do something and vote. God, please vote. Um, <laughs> we absolutely, absolutely have to be voting um and and do what we can to affect the change and to step into the world that we that we all want to live in going forward so thanks so much for tuning in thanks so much morris and i'll catch up with everybody next time take it easy if you want to learn more about cannabis you can check out the curious about cannabis book available now on amazon.com and other online book retailers Curious About Cannabis podcast is presented by Natural Learning Enterprises, a science education company dedicated to the enhancement of public scientific literacy through education about the natural world. Curious About Cannabis is just one of several learning initiatives produced by Natural Learning Enterprises. To learn more, go to www.naturallearningenterprises.com or connect with NLE on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter.